Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. This is the podcast where every week we review a classic pro wrestling event from a streaming service. And that classic pro wrestling event could be a pay-per-view. It could be a major cable television special. It could be a big hyped up arena show culminating uh, a bunch of feuds. It can basically be anything that is not a weekly episode of professional wrestling television. So for this episode, we are going to talk about a pay-per-view event. So let's go back to the first quarter of 1998. The wrestling world was buzzing about Mike Tyson being involved with WWF. Tyson, Shawn Michaels, and Steve Austin would dominate WWF television, building towards WrestleMania 14. While WWF and WCW were in their Monday Night War, ECW was trying to find its place in the wrestling landscape. This show was a perfect representation of ECW at this time. It was trying to be edgy, have more blood, interesting creative ideas, spectacular dives off of balconies, and a roster of talent that would grow into future superstars, mostly in other promotions. Their next pay-per-view would be available on all cable systems as they continue to grow. Their growth would eventually lead to a national television show, but ECW was a distant yet profitable third promotion, best known for having its loyal fan base. And this show is ECW's Living Dangerously 1998 from March 1st, 1998 at the Asbury Park, New Jersey Convention Center before a sellout crowd of 3,700 fans paying $80,000. This show would do over 60,000 buys on pay-per-view, so very successful. This is their fourth pay-per-view offering, so really good showing for ECW on pay-per-view. And we open with the ECW World Television Champion Taz arriving to the building. And it's empty. It's evening, so it looks like the day before the show. And he looks at the ring and just says, I'm ready. Yeah, this was very cool. The ring was partially set up at this point. The Asbury Park Convention Center is a historic building, but you know, largely a dump at this point in 1998, uh, which is the perfect aesthetic and vibe for ECW. Uh, and yeah, this was awesome. It was just very simple. Uh, this was a big match. Taz was going to be wrestling the native son of Asbury Park, New Jersey, Bam Bam Bigelow, later on in the evening for the ECW World Television title. And this set the tone for the seriousness of it very well. We cut to, to live in the arena. The crowd is chanting ECW, ECW. And- well, they are. But the crowd, <laughs> the mixing, this, this is one of my main issues with this show. The mixing of the crowd noise was really weird and kind of bad in a lot of parts like this it it starts you can see this huge crowd chanting ecw you can barely hear it they eventually raise the volume a little bit but it's sort of the first of many at least to my ears audio issues throughout the evening no and when it comes to production definitely it was a it was tough to compete with wwf and wcw at this time uh, ECW, the way it was going to have to compete was with its with its ideas and its in-ring work. They were going to try well, to put on a show tonight to really show off some of that in-ring work. And 
uh, it fell fell short of the mark, and we'll yeah. get to a lot of that as well, as the night progresses. ECW is in kind of a weird spot right now too, because as you said, this was their their fourth pay per view. Pay per view buys were growing, but at the same in the same breath they were already starting a bit of the decline as far as the creative end the peak creatively of the company was 95 96 maybe into early 1997 but by the pay- by the time their first pay-per-view barely legal happened uh, the juice had already started to run out a little bit and so this is it's nowhere near to the level of uh, the previous ecw themed podcast that, that we did for this show where we talked about November to remember 2000, where ECW it's not the was dying days. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not the dying days, but you can definitely, there's some distance between what they're trying to do and what they're actually able to accomplish on the show. But the, the thing that they have, and it's obvious from the very, very opening of this show is a rabid, loyal, dedicated audience, as you said. And as a side note, this is just a couple of months before if i remember correctly before ecw gets on tv in the chicago area where we're both from uh so this is one of the last pay-per-views that that i ordered i think this one and then russell palooza was in may then after that every pay-per-view from then on i was able to watch and i'm sure you were as well the weekly tv so it was uh yeah it's an interesting show we get the ecw video and it, and I'm always reminded when I see it, the entrance video, that it's the best TV theme ever. The ECW oh. theme song is an all-time classic. What a Without great Without a song. doubt. It fits the product perfectly. The the theme song, the way the, the video is shot, it, it, in a lot of ways, particularly on the taped weekly TV, ECW's lack of high-end production values are actually one of its greatest strengths because it even just the video quality itself, uh, let alone the, the editing, the audio, it all lends itself to this, this gritty alternative to what WCW and WWF were putting out. And really, just as an aside before we jump into these matches, we've talked about it before. Everyone's talked about it. ECW, to me, is by far the hardest company to judge after the fact as far as when you're watching stuff because you, you can watch it. A lot of things fall flat. Some things don't work. But everything, literally everything ECW did has to be looked through the prism of what WCW and the WWF were offering and what fans, you know, did or didn't like about that. And, you know, everything ECW did was in some ways a reaction to that while also driving a lot of innovations on their own. So it's it, this was a very strange show to go back and watch, you know, obviously decades removed from you know the Monday Night War and, you know, the sort of the, the side role that ECW played in that. The opening match features the FBI, your full-blooded Italians, which one of them was Italian, and that was little Guido. He was with Tracy Smothers and the Big Don, Wildfire Tommy Rich. And if you've never seen Tracy Smothers and Wildfire Tommy Rich playing over-the-top Italian characters in the FBI, it's exactly as ridiculous and entertaining as you would expect. Uh, Tracy Smothers, I had forgotten how just ridiculous and absurd and (laughs) fun he was as his character, but also a really unique, good professional wrestler, you know, when it came to bell to bell. And it's again, one of those things with a little bit of distance. I, in 1998, when I was watching ECW, I could not stand uh, the team of Tracy Smothers and little Guido and not in a like, Oh, they're heels and I don't like them way, but in a get these guys off my screen sort of way, watching this show back, they were one of my favorite acts on this show. 
they were exactly as an opening act totally fine totally totally get the crowd going uh and their opponents were chris chetty and jerry lynn and dynamic jerry lynn as they're telling us (laughs) and this this appeared to be both from the introductions and then joy styles on commentary this was either Jerry Lynn. Well, it was definitely his pay-per-view debut. This may have been his ECW televised debut because they were telling us all about him as though we had never seen him before. Yes, they said he had wrestled in WWF and WCW, and they you were got making, a, a Mr. JL crack, which yes, I enjoyed. mocking the idea of putting him in a mask as Mr. JL. Um, and they did mention that uh, Chris Chetty is the first graduate of the ECW training school, the House of Hardcore. If you uh, if you didn't get enough of that, if you went back and watched uh, ECW November to remember two thousand when we reviewed that show, we got even more references to him to uh, yes. Chetty being the first so graduate. I I did love that we bookended from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand. That's all we've ever heard about Chris Chetty. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty much it was a, a very narrow window. So, so Jerry Lynn was awesome here. Uh, no news flash to anyone who knows. And much, who, much younger looking, but great. Yeah, anyone who knows Jerry Lynn should expect awesomeness, and you got it here. Uh, a great back and forth with, with Smothers. The, the FBI on the outside. Lynn does a huge planche off the top rope onto both men to the floor. In the ring, you've got interference from Tommy Rich. Uh, he's able to punch Chetty, ram him into the guardrail. The FBI double teams on Chetty for a while. Referees out of position twice, missing a Chetty small package and a sunset flip pin attempt. Chetty eventually gets the hot tag to Lynn, and Lynn was great. Tilt-a-whirl flying head scissors. Uh, we got a botched spot where the FBI tries to do like a double flapjack, but yeah. it looked like Lynn was going for a double ddt to them a miscommunication all around um rich styles did a great job covering for this though they they go for this double backdrop double flat flapjack lynn tries it a double ddt like you said he kind of lands on them styles the first of many times throughout the evening where when there's a botch he covers for it explains it logically and i actually thought joey styles uh, which is sort of confirmed what i thought when we watched the november to remember 2000 show Joey Styles was so much better when he didn't have a color commentator and he he could fill both roles. It, it felt like he was much more of it was much more natural and he was actually calling the matches rather than just sort of uh I don't know, he almost I, f- felt like a bit of a, a Joey Styles pull string doll on that show in 2000. True, I agree when he's calling the matches, but all of the shenanigans between the matches, he needed oh, yeah. he needed like the the buffoon goofy heel color man to have those interactions and to do those things to continue to to maintain his credibility and his seriousness that he yeah. had when he's calling the matches because between the matches was he he could have used some help yes and i think i know i agree and i think part of it too is this was at the point where they were still trying to do the pay-per-views like a long version of the tv show and on the tv show they would always use that going back to joey in the booth uh, as a way to sort of skip ahead in matches or kind of move the evening along. But in this, you know, it worked in a very post-produced environment, but here in this live, you know, live to air pay-per-view environment, I'll agree that that didn't, that didn't work as well. 
Tommy Rich inadvertently hits Smothers with the Italian flag. Lynn with a roll-up in the pin. Eight minutes, 19 seconds. A non-offensive, fun little opener. You got to see Jerry Lynn do some stuff. And Tracy Smothers was better than you remember. Yeah. <laughs> Joy Styles tells us that he has not seen Wing Kanemaru all day. But we cut to a video package for him anyway. And so anything to note about Wing Kanemaru, Adam? Yes, yeah, so... <laughs> He's an interesting uh, footnote in the American wrestling scene. He had a long career in Japan, but Wing Kanemura, if you were a follower of Pro Wrestling Illustrated Inside Wrestling, the Bill Apter mags, uh, as they're as, called. As we all were, yeah. Yes, exactly. Who didn't spend a lot of time while their mom was grocery shopping uh, over by the magazine section reading PWI and Inside Wrestling and the like? Well, there was a particularly gory horrifically violent match that was covered uh in pwi and it was kevin sullivan versus a young wing kanamura in smoky mountain wrestling uh, this was a a very violent angle that when it was aired on smoky mountain wrestling tv they put a big red x over the screen so you couldn't see the detailed gore of kevin sullivan absolutely carving up wing kanamura particularly his face is bloody but particularly his arm he carved up with a spike oh. and so that was for most people if they're watching this show in 1998 and they weren't tape traders the the only way they would have known about wing Kanemura was just his arm and the face being crimson masks in smoky mountain wrestling in the after mag so yeah that was uh <laughs> i was i'd completely forgotten that he was supposed <laughs> to be on this show until we saw this uh pretty cool video package of the two of them in fmw then we saw a cool video package of highlights from FMW of Masato Tanaka, including a terrifying clip of Tanaka throwing Mike Awesome over the top, power bombing him over the top to the floor, and Awesome misses the table on the outside. The tiny Japanese wrestling table. Oh, and crashed yeah. and burned. This was brutal. It was bad. It was the only fall i can think of that mike awesome took that was as bad was i i believe was their last ever match between those two guys at the ecw one night stand show uh that that was it oh five or oh six that insane match where i believe uh tanaka powerbounds awesome to the floor that same way but yeah this this video feature even though it's not building up this match it would be sort of a uh uh, a slight uh, prelude to the uh, the crazy uh, Masato Tanaka Mike Awesome matches we'd seen ECW in uh, 1998 and 1999. So Doug Furness comes out with a guy named Lance Wright. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to... a guy named Lance Wright. I feel like he's. Oh. I feel like you could have put Tom Stewart from uh, last week's uh, show that we did about Starcade '86. You could have interchanged Tom Stewart and him here, but no, Lance Tom Wright Stewart was a professional. Lance Wright, this guy is an amateur. <laughs> this was absolute amateur hour here. Yes, Lance Wright had a very brief run in ECW. It was like an interviewer, breaking news reporter, and then showed up in with this this gimmick that you're about to tell us all about. He was sent by Vince McMahon and the WWF to replace Ken Amaro with Doug Furness. And okay, uh Joey Styles tells us that Doug Furness was half of the most successful foreign tag team in the history of Japanese wrestling. Now, this doesn't sound right. Adam, can you confirm? Yeah, I uh I really enjoyed Doug Furness and Dan Crawford/Phil LaFond depending on which name you gave that man. Uh 
they were a great tag team. They did have quite a bit of success in all Japan pro wrestling in the late eighties and early nineties, but I would not say they were the most successful team in Japanese professional wrestling history as of uh, March of 1998, when the show was taking place, a bit, of a, checking, yeah. <laughs> a bit of hyperbole from Joey, but Hey, he was trying to get the newcomer over. And particularly after the, uh, the rather dismal run that furnace and Crawford uh, slash Lafon had in the WWF, uh, a little bit of image rehab, I guess, wasn't the worst thing. But yes, this was stretching the boundaries of credibility. So Tanaka comes out with an FMW towel, frontier martial arts wrestling across the front. Looking very, very baby-faced, little pudgy, young, 25-year-old Masato Tanaka, who, as we record this, is now 47 years old. and. He is still one of the best wrestlers in the world. You can make an argument that as we're recording this, he is the wrestler of the year in 2020. So it's uh, it's wild to go back and see him here. Young, fresh face, but still with some scars across his chest. Absolutely. And this is, uh, if you showed me this match and told me that this man could be a potential wrestler of the year candidate, I would say there's no chance. Uh, this match was not good. <laughs> A uh, great quick power slam and a perfect drop kick early from Furnace. Tanaka had a long, he had a figure four on for a while, reversed by Furnace onto a stomach, rolled back over. We get a rope break, big elbows, clothesline by Tanaka, and then Tanaka hits a weird looking tornado DDT. Yeah, this was. Odd, and it came right after, like you said, two of Tanaka's signature offensive moves, that running, flying forearm with his opponent you know, up against the ropes, and then a big lariat. He follows it up with a tornado DDT out of the corner off the second rope, but he it, it doesn't look like he loses his footing. He kind of just, instead of going like up and then around and down, he kind of almost cartwheels out of the corner, and it, it lands, but it definitely is not the picture-perfect uh tornado ddt that he usually hits he then follows that up with an awesome running death valley driver that only gets two the death valley driver which throughout this entire show was referred to as the spicoli driver yes because louis spicoli had passed away uh just uh, a week or so earlier uh than this show so yes there were a few spots where where that was used and that, that was louis spicoli's finisher so that was the reference there then we get this weird spot where Masato Tanaka gets thrown off the ropes. He, he runs toward uh, toward Doug Furnace where it, it looks as though he's trying to maybe help Furnace into uh, Tilt-A-Whirl backbreaker yeah, or Tanaka was world slam. Tanaka was going up for something, but Furnace wasn't ready. And then Furnace just muscles him up from a gut wrench suplex position and then one of the most horrifying moves in the history of professional wrestling which uh mitsuharu misawa had used uh once against toshiaki kawada this this move uh it's been sort of christened the ganso bomb this is basically you get your opponent up in what is like the most unprotected possible pile driver position and then you power yes. bomb him from that position. It is horrifying. Somewhere in between a power bomb position and a pile driver position, and then you just go straight down and drop them on their on their head and neck. I, yeah, I thought basically imagine Tanaka going, was killed here. Going for a Styles Clash, but not putting your legs in front of your opponent's arms, and then instead of dropping front face like a pancake, just going straight down. And terrifying. Fern- oh, it was absolutely brutal. 
Furness followed it up with a released German suplex with Tanaka rotating all the way over and landing on his head again. So yes. back if to that, back. If that last move hadn't happened, this would have maybe been the most horrifying bump of the show. But <laughs> So <laughs> Mr. Wright is on the apron, and he tells Furness not to cover him, shouts some instructions. Frankensteiner, and again, Wright says no. Which this whole thing is weird because are we to believe that Vince McMahon has a vendetta against 25-year-old FMW star Masato Tanaka? It was, like, it what, was confusing. What it was not great. Um, he's, we've got uh, a really clunky exchange, more miscommunication. It was absolutely terrible. We get the rolling elbow by Tanaka for the win. This match was awful these two guys had a terrible match yes and it's very disappointing because masato tanaka even at this point in his career was awesome uh doug Furness, very very good wrestler capable of having great matches particularly in tag teams and you would think even though uh to my knowledge they hadn't worked with each other before doug Furness had extensive experience wrestling japanese wrestlers so you know language barrier communication barrier shouldn't have been an issue but it just didn't work there are moments that came off well certain moves uh furnace hit his you know his patented incredible drop kick he hit a great uh scott steiner style frankensteiner maybe the only wrestler i've ever seen that can pull off that type of frankensteiner the way scott steiner could in his prime but yeah outside of that this was uh, when i looked at the card for this show this was the match i was most excited about and wow i bet it let you down <laughs> it did it was well it was one of those deals where i looked at the card and i'm like oh man masato tanaka and doug furnace but then i thought i have no recollection of this match and then i thought oh if i have no recollection of these two men wrestling each other and i know i watched the show that probably means it wasn't as good as i'm imagining it would be and that was in fact true and after the match lance wright Drops a bunch of WWF names like Jim Ross and Bruce Pritchard, Vince McMahon again. Says you'll never work on Raw again. And Furnace attacks him with the clothesline. Furnace grabs an ECW shirt off a guy and says he's ECW. Lance Wright sucks. This was amateur hour. This match sucked. Five minutes, 46 seconds of well, not. And then to, to cap it all off, like Doug Furness ended up doing not much of anything at all for not very long in ECW after this whole deal where he, you know, he said basically says, screw WWF, I'm ECW, puts the shirt on, and then that's pretty much the high point of his run. Over to Joey Styles, who tells us that pay-per-view companies will not allow them to show the Dueling Canes match with Sandman and Sabu. So they will release that as part of the home video. And I was, I, I, I had forgotten about this. And then I quickly remembered that when I watched the show live on pay-per-view in 1998, as the show was happening, I was just apocalyptically angry <laughs> about this. I was, it felt like the ultimate bait and switch to, you know, to my 17 year old ears and eyes. I was hyped to see Sabu versus Sandman, even if their their prior uh, whatever it was stairway to hell match, uh, ladder match, whatever it was, did not exactly live up to the uh, the hype. I was very very upset about this as it played out. We will talk more about that match <laughs> later in this show. Um, in after this, we cut to a video of Tommy Dreamer arriving at the building, and they make note that there's no Beulah McGillicuddy. He's just there with a. 
bulldog who might be Matilda. We are we don't know. <laughs> well, we also though this, this starts with Jason and Nicole Bass. Uh, <laughs> J- Jason being the manager of Just Incredible, Nicole Bass being uh, ECW's answer to China. They scream at Joey Styles to play the tape. Joey is terrified. He plays the tape, and then afterwards, uh, Jason says that Beulah McGillicuddy, who was did not arrive to the arena with Tommy Dreamer. Uh, left Tommy Dreamer to be with all of them. So that's the setup for this this blood feud of a match coming up later between Tommy Dreamer and Just Incredible, which had actually been built very well leading up to this. But yeah, we'll talk about that more later as well. Here's the match I was most looking forward to when I saw this card. Too Cold Scorpio, uh, at the time also known as Flash Funk in the WWF, versus Rob Van Dam with Bill Alfonso. And I love that uh just you know i love that move early on there where rvd gets a snapmare and he just lands on his feet yeah and uh and and the he did he he get the crowds chanting rvd and he's taking a bow uh that's always one of my favorite rvd spots um they, they did a cool spot going from a test of strength to a monkey flip countered into a monkey flip where both men were on their feet in a stalemate to applause. This was, this was fun early. Yes. Um, And that was that the test of strength into the monkey flips was, it was very well done. It was also terrifying because on the, uh, at at one point they got very close to the ropes and you're sort of realizing that as you watch this show from 1998 and you see these guys uh, doing, you know, a spot you would see either, you know, in Mexico with guys much smaller than them or in later years uh, on the U.S. independent scene with very small wrestlers, you realize these are two pretty big dudes doing this stuff. That, to me, is one of the themes of this match is the high-flying stuff we're seeing from two guys that are, at this point in their careers, legit heavyweights. Yeah, Scorpio has Van Dam well-scouted, countered the moonsault and a, uh, a Van Daminator on the floor, but... Uh, Van Dam is able to hit his rolling thunder splash, his leg drop. Uh, Scorpio, with an advantage, nails a huge power bomb on Van. Yes, Damme. that was this was a huge release power bomb. This was this was again. It was something you would have expected, like Big Van Vader or Sid Vicious to do to like a jobber that was 130 pounds. This was. <laughs> This was wild to see. And I, I did want to just briefly go back to the one spot that you, you touched on or the one sequence that you touched on on the floor where uh, uh, Scorpio whips Rob Van Dam into the ramp. RVD gets his boot up, goes up for the moonsault off the ramp. Scorpio moves. Then RVD goes for the sidekick off the guardrail but misses, and Scorpio hot shots him into the guardrail. I thought that was a great sequence, maybe the best of the match and maybe the best of the show, particularly as we'll get into as this match goes along. There was a lot of this match that while it was good, it was slower paced than you would have expected from these two guys. That was a brief window into, I think, the, the more fast paced match that a lot of people would expect when they fire the show up and see these two guys you know, on opposing sides. Yeah, because this match did, does start to drag at about this point here. Uh, yeah. and, the, and they lose the crowd completely. Yes. Um, so we've got... Uh, so we had the 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 big power bomb, and then Scorpio runs up the buckles, hits a huge moonsault, but only a two count. Both men are on the top turnbuckle. Scorpio's knocked off by Van Dam. Van Dam tries the frog splash, but Scorpio gets his knees up, 
Scorpio gets a somersault leg drop off the second turnbuckle. Well, and at this point, this is one of these things I have I have here. Scorpio really likes signaling the flip. Yes. So, Scorpio does uh, just uh, an array of incredible high-flying moves throughout this match. But every single time he hits one of the moves, and then he takes a long time to set up the next move, and then he does the thing where you you signal that you're about to flip with your hands, you know, that whatever that is. Um, he does that a bunch of times and it's just like i I, it's he's trying to tease the crowd saying that he's gonna go for the 450 and then like every time he doesn't do it but it doesn't have the intended effect of like making the crowd just be rabid wanting the 450 instead they're just kind of like all right get on with it already which it's not what the reaction should be when you're doing the you know the the volume of incredible things scorpio was doing here yeah that i think that's a good point because at this point in the match it's it's a series of moves it's just like yes. Scorpio doing a bunch of moves, Van Dam doing a bunch of moves. They weren't really put together in a like a cohesive match. It was just like it, a, uh, and that's why they lost the crowd. I think. Well, no, I agree a hundred percent. And I think what you just said is a very good point. This is one of those those matches where individually the things they did were spectacular, but it felt more like they were wrestling at each other that then wrestling each other or wrestling with each other. It was just like you said, it was sort of like, okay, hit, like I'm playing a video game, hit the button, do the move, hit the button, do the next yes. move. But there was, there was really no, uh, there, there was no transition from one move to the next. There wasn't a lot of, uh, uh, particularly by this point in the match, there wasn't a lot of move counter move sort of thing. It was, and it didn't have that, that feel of some of the, you know, the classic legendary matches from Japan. Let's say, you know, some of the best matches from all Japan from the nineties where you're getting down towards the end of the match and, you know, each guy, you know, he throws a huge bomb of a move and then, you know, both guys struggle to their feet and it kind of just reaches a fever pitch. That's not what this was, unfortunately. Not at all. And uh, Van Dam hits a, he had a perfect split-legged moonsault, but again, just a move. And we, both men are on the ramp and Van Van Dam hits the, the Van Daminator, his spin kick into the chair when, Scorpio catches it and he's far I'll say he's far less careful here doing this move than he was with the Undertaker, <laughs> the Undertaker. at Vengeance <laughs> uh, on that, that podcast that we did uh, uh, a while back in the archives a definite difference if you if you put those two side by side very much so but I've always hated when it, I always think it looks sloppy when the guy is too far away like you've got to yes. catch it and get kicked immediately like Scorpio was yes. way too far away on this one looked really sloppy um, Scorpio battles back. He hits a pile driver on the ramp, goes for a second one, but instead of dropping to his ass in a pile driver, he dropped to his knees, just planting Ugh. Van Dam in that pile. This driver. was horrifying. This was if if Doug Furness hadn't Ganso bombed uh, Masato <laughs> Tanaka like twenty minutes earlier. This, this would have been. been like this was. She's like, what are you doing? Why, why is this happening right now? Like, I the censors should have been more concerned about that pile driver than the Dueling Canes match. 100%. Back in the ring, desperation move, Van Dam punches Scorpio in the balls. Then he's punching Scorpio in the corner, and the ref grabs Van Dam's arms from behind, and Scorpio kicks Van Dam, who falls backward onto the ref. Scorpio goes for a splash. Van Dam moves. Scorpio hits the splash on the ref. And then 
RVD goes for Scorpio's 450 and misses. Scorpio hits his 450, but the crowd is not impressed because RVD's missed 450 was, it looked way better than Scorpio's 450. Yeah, Yeah, there are so many things about this match that should have worked, but just didn't. Um, and, and yeah, that was, that was one of them. I also, it, you mentioned the ref bumps and that was one of the things that bothered me throughout the show because it's ECW. No one's getting You're, disqualified. No one's getting disqualified. We don't need to do all of these ridiculous contrived ref bumps to avoid a disqualification that is never going to happen. Right. And, and I believe that the, the, the low blow from Rob Van Dam, that happened directly in front of the ref. Sure, sure. No, this was... no, 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 there was no disqualification because why would there be? It's ECW. But then we've got throughout the show, we have like managers distracting guys to be able to uh, do interference. Like just no, it's ECW. Yeah, exactly. And this was this this ref bump was solely for the Sabu interference, who he came flying in with an Arabian face buster with the chair, puts RVD on top, Scorpio kicks out. Sandman then comes out, chases Sabu to the back. After a few counters, RVD with a roll-up gets a three-count. RVD is your winner. 22 minutes and nine seconds. That roll-up was awesome, by the way. That was one of the more visually impressive moves of the entire show. He sort of, he gets thrown off the ropes. He jumps uh, toward Tuchel Scorpio in, in sort of a flying body scissors, but he's completely vertical as he does it. And then as his legs wrap around Scorpio, he immediately in one, you know, very sharp, but smooth motion, you know, ducks his head straight down, rolls through in sort of a kind of a victory roll type position and gets him. That was exciting. But yeah, 22 minutes, 22 minutes, nine seconds. The crowd was not into it for long stretches. It was probably the best match on the show, but you could really see how green RVD was here. Lots of his stuff did not look good. Uh, yeah, he, he was, he was, he, green might be too strong of a word, but he was not fully formed. Like this is this weird transition point between like the, the Rob Van Dam that we saw, you know, make, make, have a few cup of coffee appearances as Robbie V and WCW that we see him early on in, in ECW, even at barely legal where he's, he's good, but he clearly isn't what he's going to be here. He's much closer to like main event, you know, TV champion, Rob Van Dam. He physically looks like that guy, but yeah, he's, he hasn't put it all together yet. No, he would get uh, significantly all. better over the years, for sure. Yes. And this was probably one of the low points of Tuchel Scorpio's career, like you said, just coming off of uh, his run as Flash Funk. Uh, he was he was not the wrestler that he was, bef- you know, years before, as we talked about on the, the second episode of this podcast, his, his debut at the Clash of the Champions. And to be honest, he wasn't the wrestler that he would be years later, even into... Uh, late into the uh, the first decade of the 2000s when I saw him wrestle several times for IWA Mid-South and have uh, several very good matches against, you know, guys like Eddie Kingston. So, uh, yeah, not not the best match, all things considered. After a short RVD promo, Scorpio attacks him. They get into another brawl after the match. Sabu comes out uh, to help with a post-match beatdown. Uh, and... But Sabu, uh, so Sabu puts a table in the ring, Scorpio on the table, Sabu and RVD go to the top, but Sandman hits Sabu with the cane, allowing Scorpio to attack Van Damme. Sandman with a Frankensteiner off the top rope. Which would later be christened the Heineken Rana years later. That's right. 
Sabu's legs hit the edge of the table, breaking the edge of the table off, but the table is still standing. It looked like it sucked for Sabu. Awful. Um, Sandman and Scorpio drink a beer together. We have the most embarrassing drunk white guy dancing you've ever seen from the Sandman, and that's precisely what makes the Sandman so great. Uh, The other note (laughs) from this is that uh, Sandman making the save here for Two Cold Scorpio was foreshadowed a little bit by Joey Siles uh, during the re-entrances as he referenced that Two Cold Scorpio was a former ECW tag team champion with the Sandman. That's right, and uh, I have no memory of them being ECW tag team champions no. at all. No, uh, this, yeah, that that uh, yeah, that definitely predated um, our having access to ECW in Chicago, where we both live. And yeah, I, I haven't even seen too much of going back and watching old ECW uh, of that team. You mentioned the Sandman dancing, but you didn't mention how great the set. You really downplayed how awesome <laughs> the Sandman's drunken white guy dancing oh, is. It it's is the best. It is. It is worth watching this show to see him do that. So go yes, watch. That the might be the dancing. match of the show. His yes, dancing. It's his dancing. We get a video package recapping the greatness of the Candido and Lance Storm team, the Impact players. Then the Candido turn, an attack on his partner. There's no voiceover to the video, which I I did not like. Uh, I, I would prefer a voiceover, especially later in uh, another future video recap later in the show we get a paul Heyman voiceover and it's it's awesome so i'm like why am i watching a great video package without a voiceover i did not like that well i mean that's just yeah it's again it was one of those things that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast where this show like they were still it it felt in some ways like they're trying to do a live two and a half hour version of their tv show and it didn't really work because the tv show is so uh, they did such a good job of like post-producing that and here this ha- they had to go live to tape. This was like one of those ECW TV show music video recaps, <laughs> but it yep. didn't, you know, it didn't quite work. Back live, we've got the Dudley boys coming out. Bubba Ray, Devon, Big Dick Dudley, Sign Guy Dudley, who would be the future Lou E. Dangerously, who we saw in the ECW November to Remember 2000 podcast. Much more effective as Sign Guy Dudley not talking and just holding up signs. This also was still the, this was the the waning days of the Dudleys wearing overalls and the the Hanson Brothers type of glasses they had. They had gotten rid of uh, to a great degree the the comedy opening card act uh aspect of their characters but they were uh they, they still had that look and joel gertner was with them doing a long intro for the dudleys yeah, the, my favorite part of the joel gertner intro by the way it had nothing to do with all the the lewd stuff that he would he would say I always loved when he would introduce Bubba Ray Dudley as rough, ready, and rambunctious. It, <laughs> looking back on it, it almost seems unironically like something that Tom Miller would have introduced uh, Bubba Ray Dudley as if uh, the Dudleys had been on Starcade 1986. <laughs> the Dudleys are taking on the team of Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten with their chairs. And this is a three-way dance tag team match. So those are the first two teams. Axel Rotten comes out. Uh, he's uh, Joey Styles called him quote the most underrated wrestler in ECW. Uh, you're wrong, Joey Styles. He is not good. Yeah, 
no he was yeah th- this was the deal where it was the brawler doing wrestling moves not all that well at the start of the show to try to show that he can wrestle or at the start of the match to try to show that he can wrestle um but yeah this is it, just just to recap here it's the dudleys versus balls mahoney and axel rotten and a third team that we're not told who it is and then the match just starts yeah they're not without, out there yet the third team the is third not team there yet no, the third team is not out there. Ball or, or uh, Joey Styles is talking about that. Balls and Axel have been denied title shots that they deserve because they are quote bloodletting freaks. Okay, no, because they're bad. Balls misses a leg drop off the top. Bubba hits Balls with his own chair to the head. This was brutal. There was a lot of that to come in this match. By the way, brutal, horrifying, unprotected chair shots to the head. Big Dick Dudley steps over the top rope to give Axel a choke slam, and it's pretty funny because he's not quite tall enough to be stepping no. over the top. So I do <laughs> no. enjoy that every time. Uh, yes, yeah, so, yeah. When you have the wrestler who's like six three, but they're trying. <laughs> everyone else in the company is like five ten, so they're trying to tell you that he's a giant. But then he tries to step over the top rope, and he kind of looks like a weeble wobbling and falling over. <laughs> he's not big enough to do that. It's super. No, no, no. Lower that top rope, or just have him go through the second and the third. Those are those are your legitimate options here. All of a sudden, the music hits, and New Jack is here. Little Spike Dudley comes out with New Jack along a with natural tag team if there ever was one, which we were we were told earlier in the evening that New Jack and John Cronus uh were former tag team champions. I had forgotten then remembered they were the they were the gangstinators. Ah. They were the combined gangsters and eliminators, the, the two leftover men from those two teams. So I was thinking that's what we were going to get here, but no, it was uh the odd couple of New Jack and Spike Dudley. And plunder, and they brought yeah. out lots of plunder, and that horrible dubbed, not the actual music that New Jack would use. Music, no, uh, New that Jack's we about. fake rap song. So his real rap song is super fun and cool. It's like uh, I believe it was Ice Cube. Uh, or I loved it. I look forward to New Jack matches just to hear that for like eight minutes. It it's was great. great. Except. Now we get this fake overdubbed rap song, and it is so annoying. It just We're it literally. Just, it's- it's a very repetitive, basic, not very good hip hop beat. And then a guy, there, there are other lyrics, but it's every no. 12 seconds the guy the says in ghetto. the ghetto. Yes, the word the ghetto. ghetto over and over and over. Ghetto. Yes. It's so no annoying. Ugh. Yeah, so that was that was terrible. But the rest of this match was great. So- I loved this. This was, this was of any of the ECW shows that we've, we've reviewed so far, uh, November, remember 2000, and this one, this felt like ECW like this and this also this was the type of match that the however many thousands of people were at the Asbury Park Convention Center this is what they were here to see yes and it delivered this match was great Bubba's in the corner of the ring and Spike is standing on Bubba's chest then drops down into a Huda Karana super cool that was a really really fun spot balls is bleeding Dudley's both get chair shots to the back and the head. New Jack hits Devon low with a crutch. Well, at this point, also, Joey Styles is saying, if you think this is crazy, you should have seen the Sabu and Sandman match that we can't show you. Uh, Dueling Canes. We'll get to that again later in the show. <laughs> uh, Axel Rotten is bleeding as well. And Joey then... has a great line about how there's something to the effect of that Balls and Axel must start bleeding in the morning when their alarm clock goes off. <laughs> I love that. Again, Joey Styles, I thought, was so much better here than he was two years later. The fight spills into the crowd, and 
the so we've got two tables set up in the in the crowd. Oh my god, this was <laughs> the Dudleys are laid on the tables. Then New Jack and Spike they jump off the balcony at least well, so fifteen feet up there. They go up to this balcony, and this balcony this is not the balcony from the Odium uh, Sports <laughs> and Entertainment Expo Center in Villa Park, Illinois that no. we talked about several no, episodes is, ago. This is high. This up is there. the Asbury Park Convention Hall. This thing is, I would say, it's legit twenty feet. Like that's, that's like, about right. I'd say it is terrifyingly high. Yeah, and they. J- both New Jack and Spike jump off the balcony, down through the Dudleys, breaking the tables and hitting the concrete. This was absolutely insane. They they are flying. Like it is it's like when you watch a video of someone parachuting out of a plane and like they jump out and there's like that initial fall and then they just keep falling and falling and falling and falling through the air. That's what this was like. Like they're flailing as they're falling through. Like it was, that might have been, especially considering you had two guys doing it at the same time. That that's on the short list of craziest ECW balcony dives I've ever seen. Balls and Axel start beating up New Jack and Spike. Uh, After I, celebrating I, what just happened, because who? Wouldn't? Yes, I had literally I had forgotten that this was a three way dance tag team match yes, with three exactly. teams at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so Spike puts balls through a table in the ring with a tornado DDT. Bubba throws Spike outside onto Axel. Three D on balls for the three count. Balls and Axel are eliminated. Which the one thing I loved about ECW for the most part, or one of the things I should say, three-way matches were not first pinfall. They were elimination. Elimination style. And then we've got New Jack and Spike back in the ring. They both have guitars, and they hit the Dudleys with them, and we get the exploding powder out of the guitar, which <laughs> yes. I hate, Adam. I don't know. We I've just, mentioned this didn't every time. Didn't we just time. talk about that on a recent, on a recent yes. show? Yes, and, and I will talk about it every time I see a guitar explode and white powder comes out of it. I hate it. it guitars do owned, not do this. No. <laughs> I have owned several acoustic guitars in my lifetime. I have literally been to hundreds upon hundreds of concerts in my life. I have never seen... A powdery guitar. No, a guitar breaking is impressive enough. Powder does <laughs> not make it any cooler. Please no. stop doing it. Wrestling, please. <laughs> and I will I will yell about it every single time we encounter it on, on one of these shows, too. Acid drop by Spike on Devon. New Jack off the top of the chair. New Jack pins Devon to eliminate the Dudleys and win the match. Spike and New Jack are your winners. 13 minutes, 25 seconds. This match was awesome. This match was everything the ECW fan base, yes. like you mentioned, came to see. And uh, this this was great. Uh, yeah, it, if you can watch it, watch it on mute, unless you just want to hear ghetto, ghetto, over <laughs> and over and over again. Yes, this was, or if you have the original broadcast of this, you'll be in much better shape. But yeah, this was... So much of these ECW shows that we've watched is, is, you know, the announcers telling us how different ECW is and how how gritty and violent and hardcore it is and how much of an alternative it is. This actually was that. Uh, maybe for the first time, this was so much better than the similar style match that we watched with uh, with Balls Mahoney and Chili Willy Chili versus, <laughs> versus the Baldies, uh, you know, uh, on a previous podcast. This was great. 
Uh, we then go to, I just, I have to talk about this, uh, sure. Jeremy. We won't talk for long, but we go to Joey Styles back in the broadcast booth, apologizing for them signing just incredible. And then they go into this whole tired thing about how the they signed Justin and gave him a big push, but the fans rejected him and his push. So then Credible disrespected the traditions of the business by attacking and injuring many wrestlers to get a main event spot. Shut up. We're watching a wrestling show to not think about all the BS behind the scenes stuff. You're basically telling us in four different ways that wrestling is fake. Uh, in this like one minute explanation. I don't want to hear about that. You were going to give him a push. I don't want to hear about, he disrespected the traditions of the business, which apparently mean that you can't injure other wrestlers. Um, it just, it is just yeah. stupid. The video, like I, and I just incredible was not great, but I actually thought they did a great job of making him into this upper card heel that you hated at this point. But this was just such a stupid explanation. No, and and he was referred to as a 23 year old upstart. So I, I yeah. forgot how young he was at, at yeah. this point well, because in he was ECW. He had been Aldo Montoya a couple yep. years earlier in WWF. And yeah, I guess I didn't fully realize how young he was. Like he was barely 20 years old uh, when he was when he was in the WWF. Jenna Jameson, adult film star, announced as the new reporter for ECW. Uh, so this is this is ECW trying to be edgy by bringing out an yes. adult film star. Trying to be edgy yet like edgy mainstream. Uh, yes, it, 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 them trying to get some 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 pubs, some cred from having her here. She was every bit as terrible as she as you would have imagined. Uh, she says she's about to do her very first interview with Justin Credible. Uh, Justin then says normally he'd give her the time of day, but when you quote have Beulah on your jock, who needs you? Okay. Uh, Justin, Justin, this was kind of, like I said, I liked him uh, at this point, but there was also a bit of a try hard aspect to his character. That was just a little grating and not, not in a good way. She then says in the most unconvincing way possible, Oh, whatever, Justin, I'm going to interview who I want to interview. Hit it. And then Tommy dreamer comes out. She goes to interview him. Tommy kisses her uh, instead, and she says, "Oh my God, Tommy!" And then we go. Then and then that's the setup for this this blood feud of a match between Tommy Dreamer and Justin Credible. Which the one thing I'll say about the show from here on out is that to me it's pretty clear that there were two things that were going on. This show, even though it was listed as being a three hour pay per view in the cable guide, they had to get the show done uh, in two and a half hours or less. Uh, I, I'm assuming to save out on on satellite time, and because uh, particularly uh, Rob or uh, Rob Van Dam and Two Cold Scorpio went so much longer than I'm guessing they were allotted, a lot of things started to feel very rushed on this show. And to me, this was was probably uh, the highest on that list. And I have one thing left to say about Jenna Jameson. Uh, you you bring the adult film star to be edgy, and then she proceeds to wear more clothes than Francine and Sonny <laughs> later in the same show. So. That is accurate. In, in some ways, that is like the valet version of what they tried to tell us about the Dueling Canes match and then yes. what it actually was. Exactly. It's, it's a theme of the show, apparently. So, so we've got uh, still no sign of Beulah McGillicuddy. And... Dreamer over the top takes out Jason and Just Incredible. Dreamer Incredible brawl into the crowd. Justin hits a huge Piscata or uh, Tommy Dreamer hits a huge fat guy Piscata, which I love. <laughs> I'm a huge. I'm not a fan of like big men like six eight hosses flying, 
but give me like a a, a roly-poly rotund baby face doing high-flying moves that he's really not capable of and i'm there for it every time and that was the case here with tommy on the ramp dreamer sets up a chair and slingshots credible into it goes for a ddt but credible pushes him off the ramp crotching him on the guardrail this is the goes into the it goes into the long line of Tommy Dreamer spots where his his balls take a beating. That that horrific. Uh, remember the the amazing, incredibly heated angle with Jerry Lawler, where Lawler I think canes him, <laughs> canes him in the balls, and just like he legitimately ruptured Tommy Dreamer's testicles. Jesus, like this this felt like you know either it just no further damage could be done at this point in his life, so he was just doing these spots left and right, or or he just had an incredibly high pay to- pain tolerance, but it was terrifying. Dreamer drop kicks a chair into the face of Credible, who's tied in the tree of woe. Credible wedges a chair between the top and middle turnbuckle. Dreamer goes head first into it. Dreamer hits a Spicoli driver, but Jason on the apron breaks up the three count. Credible hits the corkscrew tombstone, which he calls that's incredible. Beulah McGillicuddy then comes down the ramp. My all-time favorite valet. I will always have time. Always have time for Bula McGillicuddy. She pretends to be with Credible for a second, but hits him with a low blow. She hits a low blow and a DDT on Jason. Nicole bass into the ring, grabs Bula in a bear hug. Bula's screaming. I legitimately thought she was just had broken Bula into a million pieces. <laughs> this was terrifying because Nicole Bass was an incredibly powerful woman. Bula McGillicuddy was very slight. And this this these screams did not seem like selling. No, she was uh, screaming. This, yes. Mikey Whipwreck on one leg, huge knee brace on, limping, comes out. He and- was one of the men that Justin Credible had taken out. We saw that in the video feature earlier, as well as, by the way, the great Sasuke. Uh, That's right. Who we talked about a few a few podcasts ago. He had a a very brief uh, uh, second run in ECW, uh, where he had a couple of matches with Tommy. Tommy took him out as well. But yeah, Mikey out here in a big knee brace, and he gives uh, Bass a stunner. Credible uses the crutch to nail Mikey hard in the injured leg. Dreamer hits his DDT on Credible for the three count. Dreamer is and, your winner. Eight minutes, 58 seconds. And immediately, TNA Impact style, we go to the back. To we the get, back. we get, no. So this is like the culmination of Tommy had been tormented by Just Incredible. Just you Incredible the on build the, for this was so yes, good. It was great. The, the night where the Sandman, that uh, they announced that the Sandman was leaving ECW. ECW TV opened with like literally like a CNN breaking news style uh, Chiron at the bottom of the screen. Um, and then they laid out this, this whole awesome sequence where like uh, Sandman was, you know, was going to be there and say farewell. The lights go out and the, they come back instead of the Sandman. It's just incredible. And he, canes the hell out of tommy dreamer uh we later we, we hear about that just incredible like inter, uh, interrupted a memorial service for tommy dreamer's grandfather like just awesome awesome stuff to just make you know make you hate justin make tommy hate justin and then we have tommy get it get his uh his vengeance he's back with his girl and we get like a millisecond and then we're to the back so we can have a video feature with bigelow and taz they're clearly running behind here time-wise yeah, and the video package is introduced as who is the toughest man in ECW? TV champion Taz or Bam Bam Bigelow? 
But this and and this time the video package had the Paul Heyman voiceover much it was better. Great. Uh, but the video package was not about that. It was more about uh, it was recapping the Taz Bigelow feud, and Taz wants the TV title on equal standing with the world title. Bigelow was never really trying to be Taz's partner. He was looking for an opportunity to attack and and be part. And of basically, the he had left threat. the triple threat, and then he he by the end of this video feature, he rejoins the triple threat, turns on Taz, and then that that brings us to this match, which the crowd was. Uh, the crowd was here for several things. They were here to see a crazy bloodletting match, that three-way. They were here to see Sandman versus Sabu. And they were here to see their hometown hero for at least a decent amount of the people in the crowd, Bam Bam Bigelow, who's from Asbury Park, New Jersey, take on Taz for the TV title. ECW TV Championship. Bam Bam Bigelow, the challenger. TV champion is Taz. And a huge ovation for Bigelow as he's the hometown guy, like you mentioned. Taz starts out hot, though, taking down Bigelow, throwing Bigelow, clotheslines him over the top to the floor. On the floor, Bigelow gets control by ramming Taz back first into the ring post. Back in the ring after an awesome, awesome Bigelow powerbomb. Taz, out of the corner, just explodes with a brutal clothesline, killing Bam Bam. Taz tries his first suplex but collapses under the weight. Yeah, goes for a Saito and Bigelow adjusts and, and, and falls on him. And it, very early on in this match, you realize that these are two men that were meant to wrestle each other. You have Taz, who's small but wrestles like a big man, uh, against Bam Bam Bigelow, who's big, uh, wrestles like a big man, but can also move. Like they were just, they were perfectly suited to have, you know, a variety of different style, really good matches with each other. Both men ended up on the ramp where Taz hits a T bone Taz plex on Bigelow. Off the side of the ramp. This is, to me, one of the most brutal spots in the history of ECW. You have Bam Bam Bigelow, who is probably legit well, like 325 pounds at this point. Uh, And Taz, he hooks him for the T-bone Tazplex, T-bone Suplex. He does this on on Bam Bam Bigelow, off the ramp, over the guardrail, into just a sea of chairs and people. But Taz cracks the back of his head on the guardrail hard this was just this was oh yes. this was bigelow bad. cleared the guardrail all the way to the floor oh and yeah Taz ended up yeah between the guardrail and the ramp on the floor the, everyone the guardrail is, dead. is so close to the ramp that like yeah this it, why he didn't just throw him and not fall uh i will never understand Bam Bam clotheslines taz over the guardrail from the fan side to the ring side and it looked like Bigelow hit his head on the floor during that, and just yeah. ouch. Back in the ring, Bigelow to the top does a moonsault kind of thing. Instead of yeah, flipping like a, over, he does like a cartwheel-ish in the air. It's, yeah, it was. he starts with his back. It's sort of like a, a rounding press, I believe I've heard it referred to. as. It's kind of is the move that some guys did in Japan before the moonsault became a thing. Um, so it's it's not quite as impressive as say Vader's moonsault, but still no, pretty damn like impressive. If, my, if I asked my children to do a moonsault, that, that, that's <laughs> give what them they a would, little bit. This is what they would come out with, but more impressive because he was three hundred and fifty. Hundred percent, yeah. So Bigelow brings an already broken table into the ring. It's the table that Sabu's legs broke the end off of. <laughs> yes, the timekeeper's table, and the rest of the table still stands up. And Taz counters the power bomb 
into a double leg, picking up Bigelow, who goes face first through the table. I loved this because it wasn't like he was doing a move. This was basically he gets out of the powerbomb and then he just picks up Bigelow and just picks him up as much as he can and just drops him through the table out of desperation. I thought this was really cool. Crowd chants, choke him out, choke him out. So like Taz is uh, winning over this hometown crowd here. Uh, there's still Bam Bam chance though, so it's kind of it's it's real dueling chance. It's like uh, not the indie wrestling dueling chance. It's a legit half the crowd is for each guy at this point. With all the fighting in the crowd, the the you know ECW really felt chaotic around ringside. Like yes, fans holding their chairs, giving them to wrestlers. Everyone's seats pushed around. Food and beverages spilled all over the ringside area. There was uh, a, a slice of pizza almost stepped on at one point by Bigelow. Uh, well, this was one of the things where, again, you look at it through the prism of what WCW and the WWF were at the time, and they were so sanitized and so slick that this was all the things that you described were what wrestling fans had been clamoring for for a long time. And so, you know, that's the people that went to these shows, you know, like we did, yep. this is what they were looking for. They were looking for something different. And and again, much like different, but much like the, the three-way match, this was not a style of match you would have ever seen in, in WCW or even in the quote-unquote attitude era of the WWF. Bigelow goes for greetings from Asbury Park, but Taz slips behind onto his back for the rear naked choke. Bam Bam back. Bam Bam's back is to the ref. Um, so he's facing the hard camera. You see Bam Bam tapping, but the ref doesn't. Then Bam Bam falls backward as both men crash through the ring in what has become one of the most famous ECW moments in history. There's a huge well, hole in the corner of the ring. Yeah. This clip, well, this just, it would be we, shown we, in every ECW highlight video going forward till the end of time. Absolutely, yeah. No, this became a, a staple of the open of the show pretty much from the week after this pay-per-view. But you can't, you there's no way you can possibly overstate how visually impressive and insane this was, particularly because this wasn't something that had been done before. We've seen this or variations of this done in the WWE, other companies uh, since then, but there's not a human being in Asbury park or watching on, on TV that expected that this is what was going to happen as Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, you know, let his legs go out and went flying back with Taz on his back. And it's, it's so cool to watch because like you, you watch it once and you just watch them go through the ring, but then like rewind it, watch it again and watch the crowd. Yep. Because they go through the ring and there's like a split second or almost like a full second where there's no reaction. No re- and then yes. people, because it takes it takes everybody like a second or two to fully grasp what they just saw. And then everybody just completely loses their minds. It's rarely, such a cool spot. It's yes, so well done. Rarely at a wrestling event do you have to process something you've never seen before. Yes. And that's to literally the what the there's entire crowd, reaction. Yeah. That's literally what the, you saw the entire crowd try to process what just happened. <laughs> and then they all lose their minds. And this was, this was awesome. This was super creative. It was revolutionary. It was insane to see, especially for, for this time in 1998. It was, it was the best of what ECW was able to pull off and surprise you with and just do things you hadn't seen before. And then even how the, how the match ended was great in that. So they're well. They're before in we the get hole. to that, I do want to 
also mentioned, you've mentioned how good Styles has been tonight, and Joey Styles goes silent on commentary, letting yes. the crowd chance really take hold. And Fantastic. I thought that was that was perfect for him not to go crazy and yelling in his you know normal Joey style way. He just went silent and let the crowd tell the story of, of the craziness you were seeing. That's a really good point. There was no signature, oh my God, nope. from Joey Styles. He wasn't screaming. And it again, I think it also benefited from the fact that there was not a color commentator making it easier to just lay out and uh and, and let let the let the viewers process what they just saw. Bigelow emerges from the hole in the ring, pulls Taz up from the hole, Bam Bam goes for the pin and gets the three count. Well, what I love about that even more is that so he pulls him up, but he literally he only pulls his upper body out of the hole. He pulls up just enough that he can get his shoulders on the mat, but the like the the lower half like from the waist down of, of Taz is still in the hole, making it almost impossible for him to try to even kick out. Like, so you can make the argument that like from a kayfabe standpoint, that was strategy from Bam Bam Bigelow to make it impossible for Taz to kick out. New ECW TV champion is Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, Candido and Douglas, the rest of the triple threat come out to celebrate. And uh, it's interesting to note that as they were doing the spots outside the ring, that was to distract the audience while they had Mikey Whipwrecked and Chris Chetty go under the ring wow. to set up the hole in the ring when they got back for the finish. So It's funny, too, because I I knew or I assumed that was what, what had happened, but I had forgotten that like they did spots in that corner earlier in the match. Yep. And then the final time when they went outside... Uh, to the floor was when they then, you know, did what they did to the ring, uh, allowing that to happen. Like you said, really innovative, really, really well done. And then we just get chaos afterwards. We go to uh, the broadcast position. Uh, Polly is screaming at Joey Siles to buy him some time. Uh, uh, Al Snow versus Cronus is supposed to be next as <laughs> the semi-main event, but uh, which that more screams like Clash of the Champions 1989 standby match. Um, but that, uh, that, that's supposed to be next. We're told that's not going to happen. And then Polly and Joey are screaming at each other. And Paul says, throw it to Sandman versus Sabu. And Joey's yelling, saying, we can't, we'll get thrown off pay-per-view. Paul yells at him to do it anyway. Joey throws a tantrum saying, this isn't on me. Play the tape, play the tape. Yeah. This is and the boom. kind of stuff that's, that I don't want styles having to do because no. it makes him look no. like a geek when this match shows up. So l yes. like you mentioned, we're going to see this match that we were not going to see in spite of the censors, uh, because they have to quote, fix the ring from the hole. So th the, in, in real life, the idea was that rather than risk putting a rematch of the Sabu and Sandman match live, which was a worst match of the year candidate, they would tape it in advance to ensure that it would be good enough to show on this show. So this was taped then, like, immediately before the pay-per-view. This was yep. basically the dark match, which it explains a couple things. For one, the crowd is absolutely rabid red hot for this match, which why wouldn't they be? It's two of the biggest stars in ECW. But I also think it explains then why uh, it takes a while for the crowd to get into this show because they go from seeing, uh, you know, two of the biggest stars in the company in the opening match, in the dark match, to then having a bunch of undercard stuff before we get to that, that crazy three-way tag match. So this is Sabu and Sandman in a dueling canes match. Both men cane each other repeatedly. 
Uh, Sandman gives Sabu a hot shot across the top rope, but it turns out that was RVD and not Sabu. This was brilliant. RVD, it was actually... It was weird how much he does he, an he, awesome impression of Sabu. His, <laughs> the the way he stood, his mannerisms, the the very unique way that Sabu will go from a dead stop and then like do these like darting, leaping, jumping lunges. Uh, like it was crazy to me that that RVD was able to pull that off. Like as they're both standing there, and I'm watching. You know, obviously, it's standard definition at this point. Sabu is there. RVD is Sabu is there. And they look almost exactly the same. Like, it was, it was very a, strange. It was super, super good impression. Um, the real Sabu, like you mentioned, runs out. He's attacking Sandman from behind. Sabu and RVD double-team the Sandman. RVD then heads to the back. Sabu with his double-jump springboard plancha onto Sandman on the ramp. Uh, there's a table set up across the corner of the guardrail. With the Sandman on top, leading to Sabu jumping off the top rope through the table to the floor. Now, so remember, this is a dueling Canes match, and I have seen no Canes since the beginning of the match, and that was RVD. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, yeah, no Canes yet. Um, so I, at this point, I was wondering if the censors didn't want this match to air because it was false advertising, not because correct. it was too violent. On the ramp, Sabu... Jumps to the chair, jumps to the top rope for a moonsault onto the Sandman on the ramp. You've got a table set up on the ramp, Sabu on top. Sandman's punching him as Van Damme comes flying in with a kick to the Sandman. This was Who falls onto the table. Rob Van Damme is just, he flies, like you said, he's flying, he flies through the air. He... (laughs) He just, he appears out of, I, I have it down there. Van Damme appears out of nowhere with this flying kick to the head over the Sandman and almost in the ring. Like he, he hits him and then he just, it's like an eagle soaring through the air. He just keeps flying. It, it was something to see. I also just want to mention that Sabu was on in this match. As far as just, we, we've seen times where he goes for the triple jump moonsault, you know, the, the double jump, as you said, that the plancha to the floor. There are sometimes where I mean these are these are moves that have a very high degree of difficulty, and sometimes he isn't able to pull them off. Here he's hitting on all cylinders. Sandman rolls into the ring, RVD off the top of the kick, Van Dam with a frog splash onto a chair that's on top of Sandman. He's then put outside onto a table that was set up on the ramp. RVD and Sabu on opposite sides of the top rope. They do a double. They do double leg drops through Sandman through the table. This was so they're double double leg drops. Yes, they both go with both of their legs flying through the air. Double double leg drops on the Sandman through the table. One of the coolest tag team double team finishers that you'll ever see. Um, Sabu rolls him in for the pin. I think the censors were overreacting. This match was yeah. much tamer than the three way tag match I saw earlier. It wasn't bad. It was enjoyable. It Nine was Nine minutes, short, 21 seconds, yeah. But it wasn't like the way they're hyping it. I'm expecting this to be the the born-to-be-wired Sabu versus Terry no, Funk match that nothing. we'd see all those uh, videotape promos for on the TV show. This was, this this was, was a zero a, after built. It was all an that ECW building. match, especially given what we saw in that uh, that the three-way tag match. Al Snow versus Cronus is off because they couldn't fix the ring. Now... Uh, 
you know, I, I don't, I, I almost shut the show off here because I said, no else, no and Cronus. I don't want to know what the main event was, but <laughs> when, when, I kept you watching, can't, I powered through. If you can't see Leaf Cassidy versus one half of the Gangstonators, <laughs> I mean, really, there's no reason to keep watching. But we also, at this point, we have another one of those things that I, that I hate in retrospect about these ECW shows is, uh, again, we have Joey, he's back. He says he's arguing with the, he says he wants to make the censors made it clear the censors didn't want this match with Paul always wants to push things to the extreme. Joey says he's not dealing with it no matter what his office job is at ECW. Yeah. So let's go back to the format of this show that I helped write. And it's just it's just total cringe because this, it's this. I hate all of that. I hate all of that for Joey Styles, especially because I like him on commentary. Don't yes. don't have to do this stuff. Well, and it's it's one of those things that it's so dumb because it, it's the fans that wouldn't know that this is just complete garbage, they wouldn't, ca- they don't care. And then the fans that would actually understand what you're talking about, they know that this is like a work shoot. They know it's not actually a shoot. So what are you, what are you accomplishing here? We will have a main event though. And it's time for that main event. Oh We've, boy. So they put caution tape by the corner <laughs> where, where the hole is in the ring. So, so, this this professional outfit is unable to repair the the hole in the ring. We're the just going to go with it. We're just going with it. Uh, to be that, fair, I've been to some independent wrestling shows where without a hole in the ring, there were still areas of the ring that they probably should have had caution tape around. Yes, so. But ECW is trying to be trying to find its footing like we talked about at the beginning yes. of this show so yes. so sh- telling me that that you can't repair this hole and we're just going to caution tape it off was yeah you don't have some spare boards that you can't slap Nothing. some foam over no. it made for an amusing visual and quite frankly it was it was um, a funny gag yeah yes so candido as one half of the tag team champions and his uh, partner is the ECW world champion, the franchise Shane Douglas with Francine. Well, it's his mystery partner. This was a dream partners tag match, but it was really dumb because even Joey said everybody knows that Shane Douglas is his partner. Yep. But it was it was mystery dream partner match. So the mystery was who was going to be Lance Storm's partner. So their their opponents are Lance Storm, the other half of the tag team champions, with Sonny, who is chris candido's fiance now they say that so she announces that the mystery partner is her because then candido won't and won't beat her up won't let douglas beat her up so uh it's so so that puts lance storm in a, a better position apparently well, first, Candido has a great line. Before this happens, Candido says, only three people have ever beaten up in his life, have ever beaten him up. His grandfather, Bam Bam Bigelow, and his wife. And then Sonny came out and says, yes, I, I do, in fact, beat you up, which was quite the uh, quite the lion. Uh, and then, yeah, Joey is talking about how Sonny is infatuated with Lance Storm and that she chose his tag partner. Uh, and then Sonny says, yes, that the mystery partner is her. And then Joey is just going on and on about how this is brilliant. This is such a brilliant plan because I, Chris Candido won't lay his hands on on Sonny and surely Shane Douglas won't either. But that still leaves it as a two on one yes, situation. Exactly. So I was You're taking like, on the, so the, the the brilliant plan means that you have to wrestle the world heavyweight champion <laughs> and one half of the world tag team champions by yourself. Yeah, I was. Uh, I know Lance Storm is a, a smarter guy than that. I was confused by the strategy here, but uh Storm starts off hot in this match, dominating both Douglas and Candido. 
Storm tags in Sonny, and he's holding Candido's arms from behind, and Sonny's got a baking sheet and winds up, but Douglas hits Storm from behind. Sonny then turns, hits Storm instead of Candido. After a long, kind of uncomfortable wait, which I get she was trying to like, uh, like build the suspense. The crowd yeah. just was not feeling this Everybody at all. Everybody saw it, it coming a really mile flat. away. Yeah, yeah, and and she partially fell in the hole during the <laughs> in the process. Yeah. That was that got a big pop. That probably got the yeah. That was. <laughs> it's now a triple team on Storm. Lights go out and the place goes crazy for Al Snow. Well, the, they go crazy for Al Snow, but the the preface to this is that everybody. <laughs> This may be the ultimate you had to be there thing for ECW at this time period. Al Snow, who had been a longtime preliminary wrestler, uh, he had gotten over huge in ECW as this mentally unstable guy who whose best friend slash maybe lover was a mannequin head named Head. And he came out to uh, to uh, a song by Prodigy. And so really what you had was like still at this point, not very young El Snow with a mannequin head leading thousands of people who had styrofoam versions of said mannequin head in a rave as he came out to be Lance Storm's partner. This is a real thing. (laughs) And the entire building has the white foam mannequin heads. Yes. And Snow is in to make the save, goes right after Douglas Fans begin littering the ring with the heads. Well, we also just one thing I have to mention, just because the greatness of Joey Styles, it was so absurd, but he he sold it. Joey says because it's obvious that everybody has these 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 mannequin heads, and to not make it obvious that Lance or that Elso is going to be the partner, Joey says that uh, well, the fans here tonight is they're all chanting head. The, they're obviously disappointed that, that they they're not the because they're not getting the El Snow versus Cronus match. They're not getting to see their uh, you know their favorite wrestler. Who, who amongst us wasn't disappointed? <laughs> so, uh, storm off the top to the floor, wipes out Candido. The camera keeps turning upside down, which is so oh, annoying. God, yes, this was a thing they would do with Al Snow during his entrance, where the camera would turn upside down. It would zoom in and out. This was like if if Kevin Dunn. I, I felt like was I was watching like, Raw in 2019, 2020. If, if Kevin Dunn had like OD'd on ecstasy, this is what he how he would be shooting Raw in 2020. This was. It, well, especially because it wasn't just when he came out. This was like during important spots. Yes, this in was this in match. the like, middle of the match. He whipped like they're, they're brawling in the corner. El Snow whips Shane Douglas across the ring into the hole, but the hole is on the top of our screen, and it's you know upside down. Shane Douglas is leaping into this upside. Like it's just it, it, it was it did not work at all. Douglas into the hole. Storm pulls Douglas out back into the ring. Al Snow hits the snow plow on Douglas for the three count. Snow pins Douglas to set up a future feud. This match went four minutes and 49 seconds. Al Snow celebrates with the people, waving his mannequin head as the show goes off the air. Um, As reported by Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. The original plan was for Sid Vicious to debut as the mystery partner, but it was one of those communication breakdowns 
there was two ideas floated. One that Sid would be Sonny's handpicked partner and Storm would see it as a swerve and knock him out. But the chances of Sid going along with that scenario were less than zero. Well, and Sid, I would assume, had a softball tournament that week. <laughs> the, the more likely scenario was for Bam Bam Bigelow to attack Sid as he was coming to the ring and stretcher him out, uh, starting up a Bigelow vicious feud, paving the way for Snow's then run in and pinning Douglas, which was the planned finish months ago for this show. Yeah. As it turns out, there was a breakdown in communication and Sid Vicious would not be coming in at all. I believe a, a year later or so and was almost like a, a new version of 911 in that he would just come out and power bomb and choke slam people and got over. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, not not what they were originally planning to do here. Uh, Al Snow would then go on to challenge uh, Shane Douglas for the ECW world title at uh, Wrestlepalooza. And not win the world title, which I remember watching that show at the time and being shocked because Al Snow was, was so, so over. And it's, yeah. it just seemed like that was 100% the direction they were going that, you know, that ended up not being the case. Best match for you? I'm going to go with the, the, the crazy three-way tag team extreme hardcore brawl. I, I, I'm with you 100%. I love that. That was my favorite match as well. I would say for me it was that. Very close. Um, would be the uh, the Bam Bam Bigelow Taz match. Yep. Uh, it, just for the inventiveness of the finish and just those two guys work so well together. But yeah, I, I got to go with the hardcore three way tag match. Worst match. Ooh, there is some competition here. I liked the opener. Yeah. I this is actually going to kill me to say this, but I'm going to say Masato Tanaka and uh, and Furnace. Yeah, no, and this, Doug Furnace. And I is, love Masato Tanaka. This is a no brainer here, sir. This yeah. is an easy, easy uh, uh, worst match on this show. Was I was, was as I was talking, I was stalling, trying to figure out a way that I could justify a different match no, being worse than that. But <laughs> I came to the conclusion in in very quick time that yes, there's <laughs> nothing that was worse than that on this show. Every single Thursday, we will post on social media what event this week's episode will cover. So make sure you're following us on all the platforms, Twitter and Instagram, at Wrestle at Random, Facebook.com slash Wrestling at Random. And of course, Wrestling at Random.com is the website that has the entire back catalog of this podcast and all the links to subscribe via any podcatcher of choice. Please subscribe, rate, and review. This helps us work the algorithm so others can find our show Tell your wrestling fan friends about us. Tell your friends who used to be wrestling fans about us. I think they'll dig the show and enjoy a trip down memory lane with us. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yep, definitely. Thank you, Jeremy. This was, this. was We're getting closer to the sweet spot with ECW. This was far better than November to remember 2000. But I, I'm still waiting for that show that makes me uh, fully remember why I love ECW so much. So... Hopefully the randomizer will do that for us somewhere down the line. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.